Well, it's a great joy for me to be with you all here today. Oh, that helps, huh? Does that help? Good. Well, as I was saying, it was a, it's a great joy to be with you all here today, and I'm very excited to start this new pastorate and this new adventure and journey with you all. It's a real challenge here. Um, you know, seven churches I'm looking at. It's, it's, a, it's a lot, you know? So I know this will be a great consolation for you to let you know that when the bishop was deciding who to give the seven churches responsibility to, he was thinking to himself, who's the most mentally unstable, craziest priest that I can think of? Oh, Father Tedeschi, yeah, that's the perfect priest. So I hope that makes you feel better, okay? So my name is Father Dave Tedeschi, and I'll give you a little bit of background here. So the homily will be a little longer, because I'm going to give a little schmoozing and background stuff here, okay? Um... For the past three years, I have been the pastor in Lyons and Clyde in Savannah. And then the two years before that, I was uh, an associate priest in Auburn. Okay, so I've got five years of active ministry under my belt. Before that, I was in seminary. And before that, I was a school teacher. So the priesthood is a little bit like kind of a second leg of my life. Uh, I'm 42 right now. And uh, so you've got really old, seasoned priests ministering to you, okay? Five five full years of experience. Father Walter's a brand new priest. I think last Mass he offered for you was like his first public Mass or something like that, okay? So you've got these really experienced priests working for you. Now, by, by God's grace, we're going to do uh, the best job that we can. And uh, it is exciting. It's an adventure. Um, a little bit more of my background here. I'm a Wayne County boy, so I grew up on, in Ontario, uh, when I taught, I taught out in the in near Albany. I actually was in the Adirondacks. So that was where I, I taught. It was a really beautiful place. But I was happy to come back home to my home diocese where I received the sacraments to become a priest many years ago when I decided to uh, begin the journey to the priesthood. So here I am. My, uh, my father's side of the family is from uh, Seneca Falls. So all the Italians out there. My last name, by the way, is Italian, believe it or not. It kind of sounds Polish. It's a weird name because it's not, you don't pronounce it like it's spelled, okay? It sounds like it's Polish, but it's actually Italian, all right? So i just like to confuse you. That's the whole, the crazy thing, you know, the crazy part? Yeah, that's, that's part of it, okay? Well, my brothers and so, oh, and one more thing. June said, because of from the 815 Mass, she says, you know, you might want to explain to people what the whole Jetsons thing is going on with your ear there, Okay? So what this is, is when I forget my lines, Katie Childs feeds them to me. So she's got, so she's got like an earpiece and she feeds my lines to me when I forget them, all right? So no, this is a recording actually. I record my homilies and I have a, a website that I put them up there and it's a way for me to kind of keep track of them and then, and then uh, share them with the public. So today, my brothers and sisters, I'm going to focus on one simple line from our gospel. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, go and evangelize. When you go into a house, say, peace to this house. Okay? If a peaceful person lives there, your peace will be with them. But if not, it will return to you. And that's a neat saying. It's kind of always stuck out in my mind. What does it mean for your peace to return to you? Okay? See, when people reject us, when they don't accept us, there's at least one or two ways of responding. We can respond with anger and upset and bitterness, disappointment, resentment, 
bad mouth a person behind their back, all that kind of stuff. What do you think? Has our peace returned to us in that case? No. Right? We've allowed that person to take our peace from us. Another way of responding, okay, to rejection is you kowtow, you capitulate, you let this person who's basically, you know, implicitly they're, they're saying, unless you do what I want you to do, unless you agree that everything I, I'm all about is perfectly fine and beautiful and wonderful and the best thing ever, unless you give me exactly what I want, I am going to remove my approval, my friendship, my love, my association with you, so forth and so on. Okay? It's like a little tyrannical terrorism act that we sometimes can perform in relation to each other. So sometimes, you know, faced with that sort of threat, we, we capitulate. Oh no! Okay, I'll give you everything, anything you want. And what happens though is, especially if it's a very serious issue and we violate our conscience, we go contrary to our conscience, and we keep the peace externally, but where is this peace gone? It disappeared. Okay? Because if our conscience is against us, we're split, we're divided. We don't have harmony. We don't have peace within us. Okay, so those are the two different ways that our peace can fail to return to us. I got a little story here that illustrates this very well. It comes from pagan legends, from ancient Greek legends. The story about two philosophers by the name of Damon and Pythias. And I think it illustrates my point very well. Damon and Pythias lived hundreds of years before the birth of our Lord. And they were from Greece. They were from Athens. But they were sojourning for a time in uh, Sicily, okay, in a specific city in Sicily at the, the foot of Italy. It was the city of Syracuse. Syracuse at that time was ruled by a tyrant. This guy's name was Dionysius, Dionysius I. This is based in history, even though it's kind of a legend. So you've got... Damon and Pythias and their two philosophers, and they're associating with philosophers who are kind of like scribes and scholars and consultants for the king. So they're moving amongst these political circles, which can be dangerous, which can be very dangerous. And uh, as it turns out, Pythias is falsely accused by the king of some kind of crime, of treason against the state. Okay? Now the king is a tyrant, and he is completely paranoid. He's suspicious. His accusation is ungrounded. He sees the slightest little thing and he, he imagines that someone's out to get him. Okay, and so he's got this accusation against Pythias. You know, treasonous, treasonous, treasonous. And so Pythias, he's got a clear conscience. And he knows he hasn't done anything wrong. And uh, the king puts a lot of pressure on him and says, unless you confess publicly and sign your name to the, to the dotted line, you're dead. Pythias knows he hasn't done anything wrong. Quite the contrary, he knows actually that if he confesses to this crime, he would actually be doing something wrong. He would be violating his conscience. He would be losing his integrity. And so, he doesn't freak out. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't get bitter and resentful. Because he has peace in his heart. He has the peace of a clear conscience. And likewise, conversely, he doesn't capitulate to the king. He stands his ground. 
And he knows it doesn't matter how many people are against him. As long as his conscience is for him, he's okay. And he'd rather die with a clear conscience than live with a personality split right down the center because you got one part of you saying, you did something wrong, you did something wrong, you lost your integrity, you can't look at yourself in the mirror anymore. Right? Life of that sort is not even worth it. So he'd rather actually give up his life. So he says to the king, King, you can take my life if you want, but I ask one favor of you. Let me go home, set my household in order. Okay, I've got a lot of servants and my children and kiss my wife goodbye, so forth and so on. And then I come back. I give you my word. I'll actually come back for the appointed day of my execution. And the king says, Ha! What do you take me for some kind of fool? As soon as you're out of my sight, yeah, I'm never going to see you again. And so, Pythias' good, dear, close friend, his philosopher friend Damon, actually steps in and says, O king, I will stand instead of Pythias. Hold me as hostage. If Pythias doesn't return, you can take my life. You can execute me. And so the king says, Huh, these philosophers, they're goody two-shoes. They think they're so great. Well, let's see if they really are that great. And so he, he allows this to take place. It's like a test. So Pythias heads off, goes home. Damon is in prison, being held for the day of his execution, which is close, uh, which is fast approaching. And so the days go by, the weeks go by, no Pythias. Pythias hasn't come back yet. The king is saying to Damon, Hi, your friend, you thought he was a friend. He abandoned you. And Damon says, Well, I don't think he did abandon me. I believe that he'll come back. And if he doesn't come back and you have to take my life, it's probably because something outside of his control intervenes and he didn't come back. But I know him, and I know that he'll come back. And so the days go by, and the very day of execution arrives, and no Pythias. And so they lead Damon out to the execution block. The axe is right at his neck. And just like in the movies, Pythias shows up the last minute. Backstory is, just like in the movies, he got detained by pirates and all of these other brigands and these kinds of side adventures. He actually never made it home, but he knew the date was fast approaching, and he wasn't going to let his friend die in his stead, so... He turned around without ever making it back home, and he came back. Dionysius the tyrant sees that kind of integrity in these men. And you know what? He goes through a little conversion. He goes through a little conversion. He realizes his own wickedness in contrast to the goodness and the virtue of these men, and he wants to be like them, so he changes, and he lets them both go. My brothers and sisters, this is what we're talking about here. What happens when someone is in our life and they're rejecting us? They're holding their friendship over our heads. If you don't do what I want, I'm not going to be your friend. Do we get angry? Do we get mad? Or, conversely, do we let go of our peace in another way? That deeper peace, the peace of a clear conscience. Do we capitulate? Do we act? against our better knowledge. If we do that, that's the, that's the foundation. That's the true peace that Jesus is talking about in the Gospel. The peace that he's speaking about there is, in Hebrew, it's called shalom. Shalom. Probably some of you have heard that word. And shalom is not just an absence of conflict. Shalom denotes a positive reality, the presence of harmony. 
And the harmony and the peace of shalom is first in our hearts. And from there, no matter how much conflict we might be involved with externally, that peace in our hearts is enough for us. And you know what? Eventually it rains and it, it prevails. It wins out. And the people who are trying to make us do the wrong thing, they'll come around. I've seen it so many times in the lives of my friends and family, sometimes in my own life as well, in my own experience. You stick to your guns, and you have on your side the greatest asset and ally that you could possibly have, and that is the other person's conscience. Okay? And eventually, they're going to come around. And you know what? The peace that will be established between you and that person because you stuck to your guns and you didn't compromise, it's awesome. It's a wonderful, wonderful peace. It's a lasting peace. It's not a mere absence of external conflict. It's a peace that begins in my heart and it begins in your heart. And it's a deep heart-to-heart communion. It's the foundation of true friendship and really what Jesus Christ came to die for to give to us so that we might be in real communion with each other. I thank God that as Catholics we have the sacrament of reconciliation so that if we have a, a, you know, a, a conscience that's not uh, pure, we can go and get a pure conscience. We can go and we can become right with God. And we can walk out of the sacrament of reconciliation with a peace that surpasses knowledge, a peace that's so deep that no one can take from us, a peace that was won by Jesus Christ on the cross. My brothers and sisters, that's the kind of peace that Jesus is talking about in the gospel. That's the kind of peace he died for. That's the kind of peace he gives to all of us. Let's hold fast to that true peace in our hearts and have peace with one another.